Welcome everyone to the Tripolitan. My name is Rafat Yamak. Today we have a very special guest on uh, the Tripolitan, Batir Katkwe, who is a Circassian activist from the United States. He is the founder of the Voice of the Circassia podcast and accredited blogger. Also, he is a Circassian social media influencer who attempts to raise awareness about the Circassian cause and the Circassian peoples. Uh, Batir, thank you so much for being on today. It's very nice to be here, uh, and I really uh, appreciate the opportunity. Appreciate it, man. You know, uh, as, as I said in the trailer of this podcast when I first began, I always wanted to kind of target uh, uh, issues or peoples or just general causes that haven't been receiving the proper spotlight, in my opinion. And for me, it's the Sharkasi or Circassian uh, peoples have a special, uh, they have a special place in my heart. And to be honest, I found out something pretty recently as well. Um, so I work in a company here in Dallas, and there's a lot of Jordanians here. And as you know, there's a lot of, there's a huge Circassian population in Jordan. And when I entered, this was like my first day at work, and I introduced myself. There was a couple of Jordanian guys there, and they said, oh, your last name is Yamak. You're Sharkasi. And uh, to be honest, I didn't really know much. I didn't know about the connection between the Yamak family and the Sharkas. But it seemed like the Yamak family has a historical connection to the Sharkasi people. So uh, I don't know if you have any additional information about that, but it definitely was interesting to me. Well, the Yamak family, it's an Arabized last name of the Yamich family. So in Sharkasi, we would call it Yamich. Mm -hmm. But a lot of uh, last names in the Arab world who from originally were Circassian ended up becoming Arabicized. So, for example, like, you know, in my clan, I introduced myself as Gadkwe or Katkoy uh, among Americans or non-Circassians. But if I were to speak in my language, it'd be called Chadkwe. But because of, like, you know, linguistic difficulties, I just use the K as, like, the way the written is spelled. And it's the same way that, you know, many other Arab clans or Circassian clans who live in the Arab world uh, introduce themselves. Um, clans in the Circassian families, when people think of like, you know, Yemek, for example, it's similar to like how Arabs have like the Bani system. So like, you know, Bani, you know, Abadi, Bani this, Bani that. Circassians mm -hmm. kind of like have a similar clan structure. So in Jordan, the Yemich or the Yemek family is a pretty well-established family. And in the homeland, in Adigea from the western side, they also have a significant presence there too. That's, uh, like I said, I, I was I was fascinated when they just, all of them at the same time, you know, the Jordanian guys at work, they just, you know, right away they said, oh, you're Sharkasi. And, uh, you know, I started reading a little bit more about the Sharkasi people and uh, they have a very long and noble history, but also multiple tragedies, unfortunately, within their timeline. Uh, I wanted to just kind of start off um, with, you know, just in general, who are the Circassian or Sharkasi people. Actually, another thing I wanted to kind of go into, should I refer to as Circassian or Sharkasi? What's the appropriate term? I guess it's difficult. Sharkas is the proper term if you were to speaking in Arabic. But if you're speaking in, uh, you know, just in English, be it to Europeans or anyone else, you would, could use the word Circassian or Circassian. I, due to my American accent, pronounce the things like Circassian. 
but whereas other people they prefer to use the sh it's really not big of a difference i'm not one of those really nitpicky people where it says like no it has to be this or it has to be that but i mean it really just depends you know especially to the audience you know what term would be more you know preferred to them i think if you know for arabic for the arabic speakers who are listening in sharkasi is the same thing as circassian and you know it's again for our english speakers circassian is just the english word for sharkasi in arabic great okay all right i'll stick with uh, circassian for now i guess um uh, so yeah i guess back to my question um so who are the, the circassian people and uh, where are they generally found uh, historically and in the modern era where are they found so the circassian people they originate from the northwest caucasus mountains so for those listening in who have uh, a sense of geography that would be you know georgia armenia azerbaijan but from that mountain range on the opposite side so the north and those who are more familiar with Islamic territories like Dagestan, Shishan, Ossetia, they'd be considered the Western territories adjacent to them. And for those who watched like the Olympics, such as the, the famous Sochi area, that Black Sea coast up until the Mount Elbrus mountain range is the historical homeland of the Circassian people. And they are a, a very old people. They have, they've been there, you know, we're, prehistoric settlements and uh you know and archaeology that dates back up to 5000 if not 6000 years uh we are considered one of the first at indigenous people to have lived there uh since antiquity and you know from our point you know being situated between that mountain ridge between east and west we've been in contact with uh many empires and many peoples and we've always you know been interacting and ultimately, what led to the Circassian people being so spread out today is, you know, when the Russian Empire under Tsar Catherine the Great began its invasion, due to a series of long conflicts, which, you know, could be discussed later, uh, the, the Circassian people ultimately lost. And as a deal with the Ottoman Empire, they were forced to leave their homeland and be settled into there. And from that point, the Circassians were dispersed into the Balkans, into Turkey, and to the Middle East today. And that's why most Circassian people, they are more normally found usually in the countries of Turkey, Syria, Jordan, uh, the Holy Land, let's just say Israel-Palestine, depending on who it is. And uh, there were, you know, no longer existed, but there were, you know, fragment communities in Lebanon and Iraq. That's interesting. Um yeah, as as I mentioned before, you know, especially in in the in the Levant, there is a um, there is a significant population um, of uh, Circassian people. I wanted to ask, you know, sometimes these terms get thrown around, um, like Circassian or even other ethnic groups, for example, like Kurds, and they're kind of portrayed as a monolith. Are there any intricacies within the Circassian peoples that is uh, you know is noteworthy? Um, if you could just kind of touch upon that. I think the best way to describe it is while there are many minorities that live in the Middle East, Kurds, Assyrians, Syriacs, uh, Shabaks, uh, you know, Chechens, Dagestans, English, Circassian people are their own territory. Mm -hmm. So while in Arabic people often misuse the word Sharakas, the word Sharakas just literally refers to someone who's from the Caucasus. And so that could mean anybody from this, from Circassians to Chechens to Ossetians.
Tibetans to Dagestan to uh, you know as I mentioned Shishan again even Abkhazians and these people even though we're all related and neighborly to each other we are distinctly different we have different roots of origin we have different uh, you know deep level traditions our roots, our languages are extremely different and completely unintelligible to one another. So while, for example, in Jordan, you do have Circassians and the Shishanis, for example, or Chechens, uh, there are major differences between the two. And as a result, while, yeah, the clothes and some parts of the food and culture might be similar, for the most part, they are separate and distinct ethnic groups uh, between each other. And even the language, as you said, is very distinct from the Chechen to the Circassian language. Oh, absolutely. Okay. The only group that the Circassian people can say they have some sort of relation to in terms of you know linguistic and genetic origin are the Abkhazian people, also known as Abazas. Uh, they are found, you know, uh, Abkhazia is considered the breakaway territory of Georgia, which is, again, in that uh, northwest Caucasus range. Mm -hmm. uh, the story is, is that the, both the Abkhazians and the Circassian ancestors were from the same people. Mm -hmm. And due to many centuries, if not, you know, you, you know, even more of migrations and patterns, they ultimately began to fracture into, you know, different, the ethnic groups that we see today. Mm -hmm. So while the Abkhazian language and the Circassian language, for example, are not mutually unintelligible, just as how Latin has created the various, you know, uh, cultures today would be the French, Spanish, and Italians, or the Germanic people and so forth, it's right. the same thing for the Northwest Caucasus. And that's why Abkhazians and Circassians, while they do share a lot of more common origin, uh, they are also, you know, distinct from one another. But if there's any group that, you know, who are we related to in that entire world, the Abkhazians would literally be the only candidate. Right. You know, a lot of these terms that you're bringing up, uh, they kind of were brought to the spotlight, especially, you know, during the Sochi Olympics, for example, there was numerous articles written about the historic homeland of the Circassians. And, uh, you know, the Sochi Olympics kind of brought that back to the spotlight. In addition to, if I recall, the 2008, I think it was the war on uh, Georgia, the Russian-Georgian war, when you had the, as you mentioned, Abkhazia became a breakaway, uh, breakaway state in South Ossetia. These names started coming back to the spotlight and people were interested to learn more. So, uh, you know, this explanation that you gave was really useful for people to realize the differences between the peoples and the Caucasus. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, unfortunately, I spent my entire life saying, what's your background? And I say sarcastic. They say, well, are you sarcastic? Like, so believe <laughs> me, it's it's I, I do. I, I've been in the reason why I do what I do every single day is I lived. I, I, I my goal in life is one day I can go up to anybody I want in the world. And when I say I'm sarcastic, I don't have to give a five minute history lecture. Inshallah, that would be that. That sounds great, man. And by the way, um, could you, could you tell us a little bit about your background as well? I know you mentioned you're Circassian, but your parents are they both Circassian as well? Yeah. So my father is a Circassian from Syria, originally in the Golan Heights or mm -hmm. Jolan. Uh, my mother is a Circassian from the homeland in the Caucasus mountain range. Ancestrally, the difference between my parents, and this is what makes me very interesting, is 
So Circassians are split between two big tribal groups, Eastern Circassians and Western Circassians. They are, for all intents and purposes, the same culturally, except linguistically, they do have some minor differences. But just as how, for example, Egyptian and Syrian and uh, even Jordanian, for example, Arabic has different you know, nuances, the same rules apply in our culture. So my father is an Eastern Circassian called the Kabar from a Kabarday tribe, and his ancestors were exiled from the homeland, and they settled in the, jo the city of Qunaitra in the Jolan. And later on, after the 1967 war, they were forced to leave and settle into the you know, capital city of Damascus. Uh, my mother, on the other hand, her ancestors were one of the few, few people who were fortunate enough to remain in the homeland. So all my mother's family and her ancestors grew up both after the war with the Tsars, during the communist revolution, the collapse of the communist revolution. And they're from the territory known as the modern day Republic of Adigea. So I had, and they, and she's from the Shapsilk Western tribe, a very original Black Sea uh Circassian tribe. So I've always had this like half diaspora, half homeland, half eastern, half western roots, mm -hmm. and uh, born and raised in the United States. That's uh, that's that's really that's really interesting. Uh, you know, because it just shows that there are still Circassians still living in their original homelands near the Caucasus. You know, near Sochi, that not everybody has been uh, exiled uh, under the Tsar. And honestly, for the for the next kind of questions, I want to divide it into two two portions, if you would allow me. The first would be pre Catherine the Great, before the you know the the horrific genocide that occurred against the Circassians, and then we can talk about post that event basically. But I know that the Circassians pre Catherine the Great, there's a long history, and I know that this would take hours and hours to discuss. But if you could just briefly go over the history of the Circassian people. And their, especially their effect on the Muslim world, um, you know, in, in, in a way that you can summarize it, that would be so great. So the best way to describe the prehistoric Circassian, the pre, I would say, genocide Circassian people is mm -hmm. this. From, I would say, like the early centuries, so like the early from the 800s, 900s, up until like the early medieval era, from like the 12th to the 5th, to like maybe the 15th, 14th century. The Circassian people mostly lived in a huge confederation kingdom with the Abkhazians included, and they all lived on the huge Black Sea coast up until the coast of Crimea all the way to the south. And they were, like all other nations at the time, they were an established you know, kingdom, nobility, cities, cultures, hierarchy. And then what happened is the Mongol invasion happened. So when the Mongols invaded, uh they destroyed that like you know big uh, territory that existed and the circassians ended up scattering all throughout the northwest caucasus mountain range and that's what inadvertently led to the rise of the 12 tr circassian tribes or the 12 stars that mm -hmm. you see on the flag and their impact on the muslim world really began to happen when the circassian mamelukes began to uh, rise now to be fair for the audience Mamluks just refers to a military slave. It does not necessarily mean Circassians, but it includes Circassians. And throughout history, many ethnic groups from Georgians, Armenians, uh, uh, Turkish, even Kurds, uh, as well as obviously Circassian people, they've all come from this uh, lineage. Now, for the Circassian people, what happened was at first Tatars and Mongols, or 
mostly Tatars would often kidnap Circassian uh, uh, children and they would often sell them to the slave markets or they would be sent to the Islamic world. And from the Islamic world under the Islamic system of slavery, they would be educated, militarily trained and raised and then later on commanded a position in society. And as their, you know, uh, as their fame began to grow throughout the world, then the huge and their you know increased competence began to you know become renowned more and more circassian slaves began being shipped uh to uh, the middle east and later on what ended up happening was because you know the mamluk circassians would you know they receive such you know higher standards of living compared to those of the slave of you know those who from feudal lower slaves or whatnot from the homeland, mm -hmm. many began coming voluntarily. And the biggest, you know, as you said, this is a very long, you know, lecture, but to keep the time short, the biggest impact that that left from the Circassian people to the Arab world or Islamic world even was the Circassian Mamluk state of Egypt. You see, like the many empires at the time, Egypt used to import lots and lots of Circassian Mamluk slaves, including the most famous Sultan Baybars and the Sultan Qayt Bey. And when they came here, what happened was in the fallout of the Ayyubid dynasty. So after Salahuddin dies and after the, you know, Jerusalem and most of the Crusader states have been taken back to the Muslims, the Circassian people uh, and like all the other political factions living in Egypt at the time vied for control. And finally, the Circassian leader, uh, Sult uh, Mamluk leader, uh, took control of the Egypt Sultanate. And for there, Egypt for up to 300 years was ruled by Circassian Mamluk sultans. And these sultans and the, and the warriors and clans that existed uh, happened were because the Circassian people, Circassians, we are a very warrior culture. We've always been renowned for our, you know, both genetic and cultural prowess in, you know, fighting. Uh, when the Mongols invaded, uh, you know, the Middle East and they sacked Baghdad and they were setting their sights on Jerusalem, the Mamluk armies are what kicked them out of uh, the Levant. And they were the first real Muslim army to lead the first counterattack against uh, the huge Mongol horde at the time. And for many years, the Circassians in Egypt lived there until, you know, as the Ottomans began to expand, uh, an Ottoman general named Muhammad Ali Pasha uh, was sent to deal with them. And then finally, to he offered the Circassian Mamluk leaders at the time a chance for conciliation. So inviting the Circassian leaders to his, uh, to his castle for a celebration of sorts, he told them to come unarmed, and because the Circassians are honor-bound, they did not. But when the Mamluk leaders arrived, the uh, Sultan Muhammad Ali Pasha's uh, men quickly arrested them, killed them, and only one of them managed to escape uh, from the entire uh, massacre that had took place. And from this point on, the Circassians lost their uh, political footnote in Egypt. Many of them stayed and integrated within Egyptian society, but a lot of other tribes ended up migrating to northern Sudan and Misrata, Libya even, which is where, where Misrata even comes from. And to this day, if you go to Libya, you will find a tribe called the Bani Sherkasi tribe. But the origins of this Bani are Mamluk Circassians who fled Egypt and the same thing in Sudan. 
Honestly, man, you are great <laughs> because you just went over like hundreds and hundreds of, year, of years of, of, of history in, in a matter of minutes. It's, it's, it's not easy, but I've had a lot of practice. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, honestly, man, when you, when you, when you, when you look back, um, you know, you mentioned, for example, the, the great, you know, Islamic personality, Bebars, for example, Bebars, who till today, you have a lot of people who name their kids after Bebars, um, Really, Bibars and his army, when they fought the Mongols at the famous Ain Jalut battle, which was the first, or one of the first, um, basically, uh, historic defeats of the Mongols in an open battle. And after that, it was a pivotal moment in their decline. Not only did they really save the Muslim world, you know, Bibars, who was a Circassian, he saved Africa, he saved Europe, he saved the rest of the civilized world. To be frank, against the uh, Mongol the Mongol onslaughts that was that was happening, so it's uh, it's just incredible um, to kind of look back and and you know that you look at this region that it doesn't receive much spotlight, especially in among Muslims nowadays, they're pretty ignorant about the region. I would say many of them, and then when you look back at history, these heroes that we read about like Bebars, and you realize that he was a Circassian, um, it's. It's really incredible, and you know you look back at also the you know the event that you that you mentioned Muhammad Ali Basha, who was also an Albanian of Albanian heritage, and how you have Albanians and this power struggle against Circassians all happening in Egypt, just an incredible mix of different peoples uh, vying for power and all under the auspices of you know uh, of the Ottoman Sultanate and under uh, caliphates and. Just like I said, it's like a cocktail, man. Uh, unfortunately, this has been the story of uh, the Middle Eastern politics since uh, the collapse of the Rashidun even. So yeah. <laughs> it's, we're just drawn into the mix like many other groups throughout history. I think, you know, my often fav favorite joke is the Abbasiyin, the Abbasids were the ones who even created the whole Mamluk ideology where you would take in slaves and you treat them as, you know, lifelong military servants. Mm -hmm. uh, at one point, there's a famous story that the Shi a, Shi a group of Shiite Mamluks mm -hmm. took power in uh, Baghdad, but they put a Sunni Khalif in charge and they reasoned that if we put a Shia Khalif in charge of the Abbasids, he can order them, his army, to kill us if we disagree. If we put a Sunni in there, we can, you know, command him to do that. And this right. whole intrigue of uh, of politics has was one unfortunately, you know, divided and left most of the marks in uh, the Muslim world today, even. 100%, 100%, man. Um, like I said, just, just fascinating to, to look back. Um, and and to to you know make note of the Circassian effect, especially on the Muslim world, and uh, and the importance of Muslims to kind of understand uh, the Circassian role. I wanted to move on now to the second part of our question that we were kind of talking about, which is the role of Catherine the Great, the genocide, and what happened afterwards. Basically, if you can also summarize, you know, those series of events up until the demise of the Soviet Union. Um, the floor is yours. So, describing the Circassians both before and after the war, we just refer to it as the war, uh, is a very, you know, like you said, complicated. But the best simplistic way to state it is like this. The Circassians controlled the Caucasus mountain range, especially in the, in the northern plains. A very 
uh, agriculturally and mineral rich area and situated on the warm water Black Sea coast. Up until that point, the Russian Empire had no ports and territories that were year that were warm year rounds at all. So as the Russians began to expand more, and they've tried, you know, they they engaged, you know, I think the most famous story was Ivan the Terrible, one of the most famous Russian czars. When the Tatars began attacking the Circassians so bad, one Circassian prince he gave his daughter to uh, the Tsar of Russia's Ivan as a wife. Uh, one of Ivan the Terrible's wives was actually Circassian, and you know her relatives became very famous people in Circassian society. And upon that pretext, among many other things, uh, the Russians always wanted to control the Caucasus. So in 1763, Catherine the Great began an aggressive military campaign to take it over. And through Catherine, as well as many other uh, Tsars and generals that went after her, they engaged in a series of conflicts uh, to capture it. Now, the way they did it is like, okay, for the first 20 years, they focused on, like I said, the Eastern Circassian tribes, and they subjugated them. Then from the 1830s to 40s, there wasn't as much fighting. Then from the 1840s to the 1860s, that was the considered the worst amount of fighting for the Circassians. That's where the real famous Circassian genocide comes from. You see, as the Russians kept taking over our territory, they burned, you know, massive amounts of land. They killed lots of livestock. They sponsored famines. They massacred uh, and pillaged, you know, countless uh, people. They, in fact, many often even say that, you know, the, the events that happened in the Caucasus is what inspired the young Turks to pursue their uh, policy, let's just say, to be politically correct, against mm -hmm. the Armenian people. Mm -hmm. And this policy was so brutal and bad that as the Circassians just kept constantly losing from this barbaric war, finally, at 1864, May 21st, on the bat after the Battle of Sochi of Qabada, uh, the Russian Tsar gave an edict that any Circassian tribe who did not make peace you know, prior to that treaty is to ultimately be exiled and deported from the homeland for good. And most of the tribes were Western Circassians because the that that time the war was focused on the Western, but there were also a lot of Central and Eastern Circassians, like my father's ancestors, who were among them. And from that point on, due to a deal they had with the Ottoman Empire, most of the Circassians were sent out and settled into the Balkans today, into modern-day Kosovo, Bulgaria, Serbia, etc. And they lived there and they settled for, you know, about 10 to 20 years until the Russo-Turkish War happened, the war between the Ottomans and the Russians. And because the Russians, they won that war and they became so scared of, you know, the amount of refugees in the Balkans at the time, they said, don't keep them here. One of the provisions of the treaty was Circassians cannot be settled into the Balkans. They have to be sent somewhere else. So from that point on, with the exception of small community, leftover communities, most Circassians were, again, taken from the Middle East and sent to modern-day Syria, Jordan, uh, modern-day Palestine, uh, as well as uh, the fragment communities in Iraq. The rest were mostly settled and sent to Turkey, where they've lived ever since. But that's, you know, created the difference between the homeland and the diaspora. In the homeland, the Circassians who managed to stay after the war, they were very small and few in number. And they were heavily picked on by the Tsar and the Cossacks at the time. 
And, you know, fun fact, when people often see Cossack uniforms and they see the way they dance, I often say, why do they look like Circassians? In reality, yeah. the Cossacks actually stole that from the Circassians. In fact, wow. the Cossack word for their clothes in the Cossack Russian language, it's called Cherkeska, which comes from the word Cherkes, which as we know is Cherkes or Circassian. So, uh, so this is what uh, it ultimately uh, comes from. And uh, that's, you know, the whole story behind it. But what happened later on is the Circassians stayed after the war. And then from that point on, uh, they lived through the Soviet Union. During the Soviet Union, the communists believed in a more favorable policy for minorities. So from there, Circassians began to slowly receive some type of rights, autonomy, representation, cultural, you know, development. And they formed the republics of Adygea, Kabardino-Balkaria, and karachay Cherkesk. And from that point on, the Circassians, for the most part, lived through pretty much what else uh, most people lived through. They lived through the civil wars, the famines, they lived through World War II, they lived through the whole communist period that happened. And finally, when the collapse happened and the whole, you know, 90s, you know, the nationalism broke out. The Circassians, you know, took advantage of this and they established their own first, uh, not independent, but autonomous republic, the Republic of Adygea, Republic of Kabardina-Balkaria, and the Republic of Karachay-Cherkesk. And uh, to this day, most Circassians in the homeland, numbered up to a million people now, they this is where they live. Uh, it's one of the few regions in the world left where the Circassians can still speak their language freely. And that's, you know, where they've stayed ever since. In the Middle East, it's been different. The Circassians lived through the great fallouts of the Ottoman period. So in Turkey, they lived through the Ottoman times pretty well off. And then what happened was as Ataturk came into power and created the nationalist Turkish state that exists today, things changed dramatically for the Circassians. So while, you know, during the Ottomans, the Circassians lived okay, and under the Tsars, the Circassians lived much worse, it shifted completely with the Soviet rule of Circassians being treated a bit more favorably and the Circassians of Turkey living worse. And what happened was, due to Ataturk's policies, Circassians and all ethnic minorities were not allowed to use their names, they could not speak the Circassian language, they couldn't even form any cultural organizations, they weren't allowed to be Circassian publicly, except in their homes and in their villages. And if they tried, Many of them would be arrested and even in the 70s were assassinated and killed by ultra-nationalist fanatics. And it really wasn't until the 2000s even that the Circassians, you know, in Turkey have managed to actually get a sense of their culture and, you know, regain a lot of the rights that they wanted to actually start learning and know about their culture again. In Syria, you know, the story goes is that the Circassians went to the Jolan Heights and the north where Membij and Halab is. And uh, they lived there for a very long time to serve as buffer zones. Uh, they fought heavily, you know, with a lot of the revolting Druzi and a lot of the other, you know, groups at the time. But as the Ottoman Empire collapsed and the Syrian Republic was formed, the Circassians became a huge part of the uh, military establishment. And then when the Ba'ath Party took power in Syria, the Circassians, you know, also experienced a lot of that, you know, Arab nationalism that, uh, you know, affected the region at the time. And later on, what eventually happened, 
before the when the first Ba'ath revolution happened, it didn't affect the Circassians too much. Most of them lived in the Jolan, as I said, that province of Qunaitra. So they had their own towns and villages that were completely separate from the rest of like most of Syria. And for the most part, they were well respected and left alone. But what happened was, was when 1967 happened and Israel invaded and took over the Jolan Heights, most of the Circassians had to leave everything they had to behind and they just became refugees for like the third time and ended up settling in Damascus and all its, you know, neighboring provinces. And from there, you know, they had to live through a lot of, like I said, the political instability that Syria was throughout time, especially when the whole Akhwan and all those craziness was going on. In the 80s. Yeah, especially during the 80s. And, you know, through a lot of time and effort, the Circassians worked themselves up to become a respected part of the Syrian community. And from the 90s up until the Civil War, the Circassians were uh, pretty respected. Not as powerful, you can say, but, you know, they were a respected, integral part of the country. The most famous country what Circassians often think of is Jordan. And the reason why this happens is simple. When the Circassians left the Balkans, they were sent by a man named Mirza Pasha and a few others to settle in Jordan. And at the time, Jordan was mostly inhabited by Bedouin Arab tribes. They were not sedentary people. So the Circassians came in and set up the first modern, you know, footprints uh, of the city of Amman, of Jarash, of Zarqa, as well as a few other towns. Whoa. And they lived there, you know, since then. When the Hashemi under Sharif Hussein began to expand and they came here, they made a pact or a bayat with the the, the Sharkas made a bayat with the Sharif Hussein, and the reason was was when the when the Sharif Hussein says that we are the pro, we are you know the Hashimis, we are descendants of you know the Prophet Rasulullah and you know we wish to recreate this united Islamic kingdom. The Circassians in Jordan agreed to protect the king, and when the rival Jordanian tribes who did not support the Hashimis fought them. The Circassians actually protected and saved them, and this was written down by both British and American historians. And by Jordanian constitution, the royal family's protection is must be held by Circassian people. That's why in the palaces of Jordan, the Circassian guard is out there. And from this point on, the Circassian people in Jordan are dominant all over the military, the government, and are very well respected uh for that because they were one of the first people there and throughout the many political difficulties that uh, jordan has went through the circassian people were there at the front leading and navigating through it in fact we just lost the uh, one of jordan's most first generals uh general you know omran hamish uh, he was the founder of the special forces and founder of the paratrooper unit and he was a sherkas who passed away uh recently so this is why we are so connected to the Jordanian kingdom. The other communities that exist, this isn't as much, but as I said, as the migrations went out, Circassians went to the communities of Kosovo, where in the Balkans, they went to northern Iraq, they went to some uh, interacted in Lebanon and, you know, Palestine. In Palestine, two villages still exist today called Kafarkama and Rihania. These are Circassian communities that are proud, active, uh, they've integrated very well despite the very complex political situation there. They are Muslim people and they can speak Hebrew, Arabic, Sherkasi and English at times and have a and have a very you know public presence internationally. 
In Iraq, however, again, due to the Ba'athi policy, especially under Saddam Hussein, the Circassians and other minorities at the time were forced to Arabize under those uh, uh, rules. And up until even recently, this is when we actually discovered that the Sharkas community had even presences in Iraq and some of those descendants still live there. In Lebanon, from what I was told, most of them settled in the north where, you know, by Tripoli because it's on the border of Syria and Turkey. And they had a few settlements and, you know, populations there. But as you know, you know, very well, the Lebanese civil war happened and destroyed much of, much of the country. So whatever happened to those communities ended up uh, assimilating, mixing, fleeing to whatever. But, you know, historically, there were Circassians in Lebanon, not many, but, uh, you know, some families ended up settling there and the descendants of those families now are mostly integrated with, uh, you know, uh, Lebanese society. So that is why your last name is, you know, often tied to, you know, the mainstream Circassian clan itself. Mm-hmm. No, it's, um, it, you know, it's... It, it's Whew. Just... <laughs> I hope Dude. I got that all in one shot. It's not hard. It's because, like, we don't have one country. We live in a diff- uh, so yes. many different countries. Yes, and, 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 it's, and it's clear that each country, you know, the Circassian community has their own unique history with that country as well. You know, it's not just something you can just cover all in one uh, <laughs> and in a general way. But uh, just for the sake of the audience, um, you mentioned the word bayah, uh, which just means uh, the Pledge of Allegiance, basically, when you were talking about the Circassians and Sharif Hussein, uh, when they gave the bayah, which just means the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, and, uh, and going back to Lebanon, you know, there's been this, uh, since, as you know, I'm, I'm originally from Tripoli, Lebanon, um, there has been some initiatives, honestly, from many people with uh, Circassian heritage. There is a Facebook page, you know, uh, that's trying to gather as many people as possible and to connect with other Circassian communities in the Middle East and in the Balkans and Turkey. Um, so there is this growing awareness and this kind of this thirst to understand their heritage and background. So it's it's slowly coming back after the Civil War. And uh, they are really using the neighboring Circassian communities as a, as, as a support, basically, as a support system to better understand their past. Yeah, I actually had the fortune. I'm going to give a shout out here because she deserves it. I'm going to give a shout out to your cousin, Maryam Yemich, who is the yes. whole leader of the whole, you know, Circassian, you know, awakening in the Lebanese community. Yes. Great lady. I had the very fortunate pleasure to meet her. Uh, she came and visited us in the United States before we decided to have a pandemic and riots. Right. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, you know, she's doing a lot of good work. And uh, if there's anybody who I think should, you know, take the responsibility of recreating this community uh, is there. I think the biggest challenge for Lebanese Circassians is the biggest problem is, is that the term everybody wants to be Circassian. I have to make this joke all the time because somebody will go on their Ancestry.com, find out that their great grandmother's, you know, neighbor's mailman's son's pet goldfish yep. was like Circassian. <laughs> yep. And, you know, because of that, they're going to be like, oh, I'm as Circassian as, you know, you know, the great narts of the time. 
And, you know, if you were to bring that to someone and, you know, like like me or someone from our community, they say, and you tell that to them, they're not going to really, you know, you know, be as accepting towards, especially if they're very assimilated. So, you know, the most important thing I think that the Lebanese community should really, you know, if there's anything that they should do is that as much as it's difficult, they need to find documentation and proof mostly of where they come from. They need to have proof of their lineage as where as you know where they're from and then this way this can help them get readjusted otherwise if you start bringing about that i'm a part mamluk from like you know yeah, 1500 yeah. <laughs> you know at that point i might as well start saying i'm related to like the king of england or something yeah 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 you know uh <laughs> that, that's that's true that's true and um <laughs> yeah you're right there is this desire from many people to uh to kind of claim that they're sharkasi uh, it's 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 a very interesting phenomenon, honestly, and uh, I've noticed it amongst many people. But uh, you're right. Uh, you know, is there any? Now that I think about it, is there any Yamaks that you've come across that are in the homeland itself in sure? The Caucasus? But they're not called Yamaks. Yamak is the Arabic term for it. Right. They're called Yamich. Yamich. Yamich is the name, and Yamich people they're they're I think they're a Bjadog tribe. So the Circassians, for those who are listening again. There's 12 Circassian tribes, six of them, one was completely purged and extinct, called the Wubuk people. The rest ended up uh, being destroyed and just mixing with the other tribes. So the top Circassian tribes that you hear of today are Qabardes, the biggest one, which is where my father is from. The Shapsols, the Bjadols, the Chamguis, uh, and Hatukwaisans um, and a few others. But those are the ones most people often hear of. And I think the Yamich are uh, a Bjadol tribe. I don't think they're Abzakh, but, you know, this is the tribe they come from. They're found mostly in the Republic of Adigea, where the capital city of Maikop is. And uh, there are a few people, you know, from that clan who live there. Interesting. That's definitely something worth uh, looking into. I'm gonna be reaching out to uh, Maryam and seeing if uh, if they, my if, cousin... if, if if someone knows it, Maryam has to know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll reach out to her. Um, uh, finally, um, better. I wanted to ask you uh, honestly. This has been great, a great, great uh, episode, and I'm very happy to have you on. I'm happy to be here. I love I honestly talk to too many Circassians. I often tell my people like, listen, yeah. I know where how great Circassians are, but the people need to know who we are. So, you true. know, to all those who are listening, yeah, you know, shout out, follow me on Instagram, go on Facebook, read yes. about us, talk to us. We're very friendly, open people. So we, we I live to do these type of things. Yes. And, you know, this is what I wanted to kind of conclude with this, with this last question, but you've already kind of beat me to it. I wanted to ask you, do you have any resources you'd recommend for people, like especially you know my audience and people listening to The Tripolitan, any resources, books, even documentaries that you'd recommend that they could, you know, if they wanted to learn more about the Circassian people? Sure, absolutely. I think the first one is, uh, honestly, Google and Wikipedia are your friends. It's not, you know, the most in-depth, but if you want, like, a good general understanding of who we are and where we come from, the Circassians who contributed to writing those articles online are a huge boost. So you could definitely find a lot of written sources there. In terms of books, there's a few books written in English, also translated into Arabic, that explain... Uh, Circassian history, the most famous being uh, the late Amjad Jamahwa, Allah Hamus book on Circassian history. 
for those who don't know, Amjad Jamukha was one of Jordan's most finest and most prominent Circassian history historians in the region. He had a page called Circassian Culture and Folklore on Facebook, which you know, shared lots of content on Circassian people. In fact, he even had a YouTube channel where he would subtitle and translate Circassian songs and history pieces. And, uh, you know, there's also documentaries done by Al Jazeera about, you know, the Circassian community of Jordan, as well as, you know, a few others, both in Arabic and in English. Uh, the most famous and most inspiring man to me was Qadir Nato, or Nato, T-N-A-K-A- D-I-R-N-A-T-H-O, Qadir Nato. He wrote many, many books on Circassian culture from the United States. And he has uh, two books I think that'd be of interest uh, to people would be his first is Circassian History. You can find it in Barnes and Nobles or Amazon. And the first is called Adiga Khabza. So before, last thing I do want to say is this. We in, you'll often hear the word Adiga among Circassians. You see, in English, we're all Circassian. In Arabic, we're Sharkas. But when I talk to another person of my culture, I say I am Adiga. And that's where the word Adiga comes from. And we call ourselves as Adiga people. And from that, we have a tradition called the Khabza, which is the whole, you know, again, that's another podcast alone, what Adiga Khabza is. But it's the traditions and way of life of Circassian people. And Qadir has a great book about it in English called Adiga Khabza, A-D-Y-G-H-E, Khabza, K-H-A-B-Z-E. And again, you can go online, go on Amazon, go on uh, Barnes & Nobles, order your copy, and uh, learn about the traditions of our people. I also have a podcast uh, called Voice of Circassia. You know, you can find me on YouTube. I got a you know, I just started it much similar to yours, but I have a couple of interviews I've done and I'm doing some documentaries to showcase to people. Uh, even though my podcasts are conducted in the Circassian language, I subtitled them in four languages, including English, Arabic, Turkish, and Russian. That's great. So uh, just, I guess, one last question. I know I told you, <laughs> I have one last one just for the, to learn something about the Circassian language. Uh, how do you say hello in uh, Circassian? Okay, so... Nowadays, due to Islamic influence, this is the funny Islamic correlation. There's a okay. lot of Islamic, Arabic, and Turkish words that ended up being added to the Circassian language. So, for example, if you say "Salam alaikum" to us, you know we're gonna say the same thing back to you. You can say "Salam." If there is a true Circassian greeting for a hello, uh, it would probably be "We ma." In Western, we would say "We ma and in Eastern, you would say, and it just means good day to you. Okay. So that's, you know, the that's as close I can get it. We're very formal people like Arabs. Yeah, so, no, that's uh, great. I mean, uh, that's, you know, I guess the best way I can say it. That's good, man. It's always good to learn a couple of words just in case you do meet up with a Circassian. Or you may have a Circassian boss you want to impress with a couple of uh, Circassian words. There is no, there is no loss in that. Honestly, the language is why I, I think the biggest challenge for me to be a Circassian is the fact that our language is dying. Again, due to the forced assimilation policies in Turkey and the Arab world, as well as, you know, the consequences of modern Russia today, the Circassian language has become a lot less spoken now. And my heart and passion is for that language to be preserved. So 
when people like you who you know come from old Circassian roots or when people from the audience who aren't even Circassians at all even learn and care about our language uh, that's huge for us because you know when we see other people care it makes many of our own want to care too and this is what I really aspire to do you know every single day if people care about the culture and do something to preserve it then at least I can you know die knowing happy Right. And, you know, it's with people like you and uh, hopefully more people um, that have the same passion, the language will live on and uh, the Circassian people will live on. And uh, I, re I really want to thank you for all your hard work and your effort regarding, um, you know, regarding all your efforts that you've been doing with respect to the Circassian cause. Thank you for being on the show, uh, Better. Uh, thank you so much. Habibi, Allah And I want to thank the audience, uh, the Tripolitan audience, for listening in today. Uh, feel free to leave any questions or comments. And if you have any additional questions about the Circassian people or the Caucasus in general, feel free to reach out to Better and make sure to subscribe to his podcast as well. Uh, Better, remind me, remind me what your name, the name of your podcast is again. Voice of Circassia, C-I-R-C-A-S-S-I-A. -S -S and if that's too much for you, just follow me on Instagram at BatterCatKoy, B-A-T-T-E-R-K-A-D-K-O-Y. Great. Sounds good. Thank you all and have a good day. Salam.